Welcome to episode 5 of Listen, a Doctor Who podcast. I'm Molly Doyle. And I'm Jasmine Doyle. One type of episode we want to try and do with our podcast is reviews or reactions to episodes of Doctor Who. Obviously there's so many episodes that we have up until now in the new Who canon and we've chosen one to start with that is quite relevant to us. Jazz, do you want to explain what we've chosen and why? Yeah, so we thought it would be a good idea to review Series 8, Episode 4, which is called Listen. And the reason we thought that would be a really apt one to choose is because we named the podcast after this episode. Yeah, it was our inspiration. Exactly. Before we do anything else, maybe it's a good idea to just give a little brief summary or overview of what the episode is and I feel like you're much better at this than me Jazz so do you want to explain listen for people that may not know or more likely may have forgotten? Yeah so basically the doctor has this theory that there's a creature that's evolved to be perfect at hiding and exists always there in the dark under the bed and he theorizes that in all of our lifetimes we all have the same bad dream of this creature grabbing our ankle from beneath the bed. Throughout the episode they travel to the past, they travel to the end of the universe and all over to try and prove this theory to not much avail. Is that the right word? Avail? That's the perfect word, yeah. That's a great summary I think. Um, Fantastic. We have lots of things to discuss. We've tried to organise our discussion a bit, but I think there's a lot to unpack with this episode, so we'll see how we go. But before we get started, I just pulled together some kind of key stats and facts about the episode that I thought would be useful to give us a little overview. So as you said, this is in series eight. It's the fourth episode of that series, written by Stephen Moffat. It's directed by Douglas McKinnon, and I feel like we don't often know of or talk about the directors that much but I thought it was interesting he's directed quite a lot of other ones I started writing them out and then I was like there's too many but notably in this same series Time Heist and Flatline ah I really like all of them yeah he also directed the whole of Good Omens and he directed an episode of Sherlock oh how cool which episode of Sherlock out of interest (laughs) can't remember (laughs) let me google uh he did He did The Abominable Bride. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and if you're That's interested, cool the other Doctor Who episodes he did were The Sontaran Stratagem, The Poison Sky, The Power of Three, Cold War, and The Husbands of River Song. A mixed bag. Yeah. Um, yeah, this, this episode was first broadcast on the 13th of September 2014 and watched by 7.01 million viewers in the UK. I'm not bad. Not that sure how that ranks with I I'm fairly familiar having read a writer's tale yeah. <laughs> and the discussion of the episode viewings. I think that's pretty standard. I know yeah. that they um that Peter's series wasn't as watched as David and Matt's. Yeah. Well, it's kind of declined, hasn't it? Although there was an uptake with Jodie and a dip again perhaps I don't know I'd actually be so interested to look at the like a proper graph of all the stats but yeah yeah, that's probably just not not of general (laughs) interest for our audience Um, yeah and that's oh the last 
fact that I have in my fact file is that on IMDb, it has a rating of 8.9 out of 10. So Mm. generally regarded to be a very good episode, I think. Yeah. So as I said, this episode was written by Stephen Moffat. And when I was researching this episode, I saw a little quote of him talking about it. And I thought it was really interesting. I've got it here. Do you want to give it a read out, Jazz? Yeah. So Stephen Moffat said, it was really down to an entirely selfish desire. I remember the first thing I said about this year's run is, I'm going to do a chamber piece with no money in the middle because I haven't done one in ages and I'd like to prove that I can actually write. I don't know what you think about that. Does that fit with your interpretation of the episode or what do you think? Yeah, I suppose it does. It's because obviously an episode like this, which has no monster, like no kind of CGI Mm. budget, it's kind of a, a very low budget, completely kind of dialogue driven cleverly written episode so yeah it kind of does yeah i guess i would say he achieved his his goal yeah so shall we start with discussing our overall thoughts on the episode what do you think of it molly yeah so with this episode it was really interesting i remembered that this episode was good and i remembered that it was regarded that way like people generally view this as a good one I think but I remembered so little of what happened story-wise like beyond the fact that there were these kind of key locations um but then when I was watching it I sort of realized that that's because there isn't really that much of a plot it kind of is a such a meandering episode but in like the best way and I think it's I don't know I think this episode is so clever and thought-provoking and I really really enjoyed it and I don't know I was gonna just say that I feel like once again my poor memory of Doctor Who episodes like did me a favor because I was like so caught up in it like as if it was new um which I feel like I'm lucky to have a memory of a sieve when it comes to Doctor Who episodes because it means that (laughs) I enjoy them like for the first time yeah yeah what did you think yeah I also really love this episode I think it's such a clever idea, such a scary thought that it kind of plays upon. Again, something that everyone has thought of, like, what if there's a monster under the bed or yeah. hidden in the dark? And that type of thought is so scary to see realised. Um, I think it's really clever. It's a really also just a great exploration of the relationships between Clara and the Doctor and Clara and Danny Pink throughout the episode. I think it's really a really well-written episode. Yeah, I completely agree. And I don't know about you, but I feel like I can't really fault it. Yeah. I can't think of things that I don't like. So it's making me think, like, is this one of my favourite, favourite episodes? I don't know. (laughs) Maybe. (laughs) It's very good. and It really is. Yeah, I think you're so right. Like, the exploration of character is, like, at the fore, which I love. Studying, like, the Doctor in this kind of obsessed crazed state he's in this episode yeah it shows a really interesting side of his personality yeah because i suppose it's playing upon his own fears for once yeah exactly and actually that actually reminds me of the other the other quote that i found when i was researching for this which is something that peter capaldi said and i'm sure we'll delve in more to discussing the doctor as we go but at the 2017 san diego comic-con 
somebody asked him which episode he felt most defined his doctor and he chose listen and he said it's the first time we clearly see this kind of obsessive quality about him because in that episode he has a compulsion that there's a creature that exists that you can't see and he sets off to find it even though you can't see it and there's no evidence of it and he's absolutely committed to that idea which is basically exactly what you just said so you and Peter are on the same wavelength we are clearly in sync me and Peter but I think you're really right it's such a such a simple starting point but it opens kind of like a can of worms of questions Mm -hmm. it's a very timey-wimey episode as well it is (laughs) which i love yeah and yeah i'm just glad we named our podcast after it honestly so i (laughs) shout (laughs) yeah that's all i have in my overall thoughts do you have anything else Mm, no i don't think i do i think we could go into actual discussion okay so let's get on then and go through this kind of not scene by scene but we'll go through (laughs) chronologically through the episode and we can just bring out the things we want to discuss exactly so do you want to start yeah do you have any thoughts on the opening the pre-titles scene i think it's such a kind of captivating opening isn't it the way Mm. Well, when it pans up and he's just meditating on this TARDIS, it's kind of yeah, funny, but also it is. very cool. <laughs> and it is cool. I love, is it the first line where he's like, question? Well, he says, listen, obviously. But then yes. he says, question, why do we talk out loud when we know we're alone? Question, why do we talk out loud when we know we're alone? conjecture because we know we're not and that line just kind of sets up such an intriguing premise for the whole episode you're kind of immediately hooked in completely i i agree 100 percent. and i love the kind of concept when he's like how we've evolved nature's evolved to have these perfect predators perfect hunters perfect defense so why not a creature of perfect hiding evolution perfects survival skills that are perfect hunters. There is perfect defense. Question, why is there no such thing as perfect hiding? Answer, how would you know? Logically, if evolution were to perfect a creature whose primary skill were to hide from view, how could you know it existed? It could be with us every second and we would never know. How would you detect it? Even sense it. I think that's a cool kind of yeah. way it's done, isn't it? It makes you be like, oh yeah, that's true. Like, I never <laughs> thought of that. <laughs> yeah, I think it's... I just really like it. I think... Like you say, so simple, so clever. And the part where the very opening shot with him sitting on the TARDIS meditating, yeah. like like you say, it kind of makes you go, oh, but it also just signals that this is a unique episode and it's going to be yeah. a bit of a different one. Yeah. But I love that opening. And I mean, I'm never going to complain about a Peter Capaldi monologue. Like, no. let's be real. <laughs> They're always great. So. Of course. And it's kind of apt that the episode would, 
have kind of him alone rambling because that's what the kind of question is is is, are we ever alone why do we talk out loud when there's no one there Mm. so it makes sense that he would be alone talking to himself that's true so meta yeah (laughs) wow yeah um i don't have anything else about that i would say just it kind of immediately sets up this theme as well with the with the chalk dropping off and the writing being on the board it immediately kind of sets up this recurring thing throughout the episode of these kind of sinister things happening but there also being a kind of logical explanation to them yeah so it's in his own handwriting and he could have easily rolled off the book or whatever but he interprets it in his in this state where he's looking to prove this theory he sees that as a a sign of something sinister going on yeah and i think that just sets it up the way that and it comes back to that throughout the episode yeah time and again in this episode you have yeah. that this could be a scary monster or this could be something we can find like a reasonable rationale for and yeah. you never know what's what and exactly that's part of the beauty of the episode i think yeah and then so after the titles role we end up in clara and danny's date scene what do you think about that um yeah i really like that i've kind of i don't know if this is gonna mess with how you've structured your notes but i've sort of grouped all the stuff with the date together yeah um i think the date obviously being in the present and then we have scenes in the past and scenes in the future in this episode but these scenes i think just really serve to ground the episode in the everyday Mm. reality and in Clara's life. And I think both of those things are so important in Doctor Who. I think with Russell's era, and I think we discussed this in our first um, episode where we talked about Rose and the other openers and how important it was for Russell and for the show when it came back to be like, Doctor Who isn't just far off planets and monsters, it's got the everyday. And they used the companion to ground it through like a relatable situation that we can see ourselves in. Exactly. Clara's life in particular is important because she's our main character. I mean, well, the Doctor's our main character, but she's our main eyes, like you say, and it's so important for us to know more about her. And I think the fact that this date is interspersed throughout the episode, these different attempts at it help yeah. with grounding it. And I kind of think that without this date scene without these date scenes the episode might have been a little bit too abstract i don't know maybe not but it kind of it brings a sense something we can keep coming back to throughout the episode is this yeah consistent storyline instead of dashing off to the past the future and gallifrey it's like something that we can just keep coming back to this restaurant or just their date their relationship you know yeah do you have anything else to say on that scene or the dates um... in general yeah, I think um, it's cool to kind of explore Clara and Danny's relationship, I suppose, mm-hmm. for kind of the first time to see them kind of interact in this way. And it's very kind of up and down, like they're laughing one minute and then one of them says something, they get angry yeah. and then they're laughing again. And that's kind of the whole, their whole relationship is a bit like that. Yeah, you're right. It is. I hadn't thought of that. And it's. I feel like it's you know, there's points where it's so cringy and you're like, oh no. I know, you're like, oh, why did you say that? It was going yeah. so well. <laughs> but yeah. maybe that's the reality of it. Like, it wouldn't be so entertaining or so realistic yeah. if it were a completely perfect date. Exactly. And also, I think it's um, 
kind of show with Clara and the Doctor's relationship, how the Doctor keeps not kind of understanding that Clara's on this day and just showing up and like, oh. and it reminded me of Bill in the next. No, yes. Doctor, here's a tip: when I'm on a date. When that rare and special thing happens in my real life, do not, do not, under any circumstances, put the Pope in my bedroom. Yeah. It's like a similar situation of the doctor just like completely kind of misunderstanding that his friends have lives outside him and like can't just always be there to answer his theories and things. That is one of the things I love the most about the 12th Doctor is I feel like Peter Capaldi and the writers have done it so well because it could come across as he's just like really obnoxious and has no social skills and it yeah. kind of does but he does it in such an endearing comedic it is way so endearing. that is it really so makes enjoyable. Me laugh. <laughs> like he's just like you know like the amount of things he says to that is so it's just kind of rude but funny. Yeah the thing about the three mirrors. Doctor? Why do you have three mirrors? Why don't you just turn your head? Yeah the three mirrors but also you know the one I was um when he's like, you've already taken your makeup off. No, it's just possible that I might get a phone call. From the date guy? Well, it's too late, you've taken your makeup off. No, I haven't. I'm still wearing my makeup. All right, okay, well, you probably just missed a bit. Come on, come on, come on, come on. And like, yeah, the three minutes. <laughs> yeah. It's so funny. It is really good. Yeah, I really love their interactions in this episode. Yeah, and I think particularly that first time when she comes back from the date and he's in her house that's sort of the perfect bridge from like the because if you just watch that date scene you would not know that was doctor who like it's very much like a dramedy you know a romantic comedy drama type thing and then you'll get the sci-fi which then i guess leads us if you're ready yeah yeah so the doctor being there and their little discussion Kind of proposing his theory. I haven't actually said yes. Yes, you know sometimes when you talk to yourself, what if you're not? Not what? What if it's not you you're talking to? Proposition. What if no one is ever really alone? What if every single living being has a companion, a silent passenger, a shadow? What if the prickle on the back of your neck is the breath of something close behind you? How long have you been traveling alone? Perhaps I never have. Him proposing his theory is sort of leads them into the past and they go back to the children's home which i don't know if you picked up on this is in gloucester which is where fugitive of the jadoon is yeah because she was like i've never been to gloucester and he was like you must have just forgot (laughs) so yeah what are your thoughts on this scene this section with young rupert or young danny pink young rupert pink yeah I really think it's cool to see, because obviously when you appear in this place, you don't know why they're here, who they're coming mm. to see. And then when you see little little Rupert Pink, it's quite clear that that's him. And I think it's got some really great moments in kind of Clara talking to little Rupert. I think Clara's interaction with young Rupert is, is so good. And it kind of, it's all building into her character as a teacher and her history as a governess and her mm. kind of she's very good at relating to people and she's good, she's with, so children. good with children yeah yeah but also interestingly the 12th doctor is yeah. also very good with kids you know you wouldn't that. think he would be but his speech to little rupert about like fear and like yeah. being scared is a superpower the thing on the bed whatever it is look at it 
exist, can you? Yes. Well, that's good. You want to know why that's good? Why? Let me tell you about scared. Your heart is beating so hard. I can feel it through your hands. There's so much blood and oxygen pumping through your brain. It's like rocket fuel. Right now, you could run faster and you could fight harder. You could jump higher than ever in your life. And you are so alert. It's like you can slow down time. What's wrong with scared? Scared is a superpower. It's your superpower. There is danger in this room. And guess what? It's you. Do you feel it? I, I love that speech. Me too. I feel like we can all use that in our lives. <laughs> yeah, it's actual life advice that we can take from yeah. Doctor Who. Thinking about how when you're scared, you're stronger and cleverer and faster. And... Yeah. And it's exactly the right thing to say to a child who's scared. Yeah, completely. And I think it means more coming from the 12th Doctor because, like we say, he's not got that good social skills and he's quite gruff and often you know, would just brush it off and probably wouldn't understand the child's perspective. But then at the same time, he does. And he has, I think he actually is secretly quite good with children. Yeah, he is. Except when Rupert's like, oh, can you tell me a bedtime story? And he's like, once upon a time, good night. Whatever he says. Yeah, the end and like shuts his <laughs> brain end. down. Would you read me a story or help me get to sleep? Sure. Once upon a time. The end. Dad skills. Yeah, that's it's good. Funny. But um, I think it's really scary. You know when she under, goes under the bed, she's like, there's nothing <sighs> here. And then when the mattress sinks down, I think that's super scary. <laughs> it's so scary. And honestly, like the way they develop the creature, and I use the word creature in inverted commas here, yeah. because is it a creature? We don't know. It's so well done. It's so intriguing. The hands under the bed is yeah. such a creepy image of them when it reaches out and grabs your ankle. It's, it's really creepy. I was going to ask, have you ever had that dream? You know how oh, the doctor has a theory a that everyone question. in their lives has this dream at some point. You ever had a dream about something under the bed? Not specifically grabbing my ankles. I have mm. lots of dreams where like, it feels like someone's in my room and I wake up and you feel like they're yeah. still there and it's really scary. And I have, I think when I was little, I used to kind of feel like someone was in the cupboard. Hmm. But so similar. Maybe this what about is you? proving the doctor's theory. Yeah. I don't think I've ever had this specific dream either. No. But maybe there's still time. I'm only 21. <laughs> 21 and then now you start a recurring dream every night. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> After this episode. Um, but it is such a scary concept and I think they do such a good job with these scenes in the children's home of like building the atmosphere and the mystery mm. and the tension. Without ever seeing any monster, no. all you're seeing is a blanket, but it's really yeah. quite like when they're turning away and it stands up off the bed and stuff, it's quite scary. Don't look round. Not yet. I can't hear anything. Don't. Look away, look away now. Don't look at it. Don't look round. Don't look round. Don't look at the reflection. What is it? Imagine a thing that must never be seen. What would it do if you saw it? I don't know. Neither do I. Close your eyes. What? Close your eyes. You too, Clara. Give it what it wants. Prove to it that you're not going to look at it. Make a promise. A promise you're never going to look at it. I promise never to look. Breath on the back of your 
neck. Like your hair's standing on end. That means don't look round. Yeah, it is. If I were in that position, I would be terrified. Genuinely. Yeah, so would I. <laughs> it's really yeah. scary. Fear is a superpower, you know? Yeah. And the last thing I had to say about this section is I also really love the kind of the fact that they change the future sort of with like down the soldier van and implanting that, that into that. And it's like, oh, and another Clara's cool thing. face when she realizes that she's kind of caused yeah. him to become Danny, the soldier. See what I'm doing? This is your army. Plastic army. Sit. And they're going to guard under your bed. You see this one? This one's the boss one. The colonel, he's going to keep a special eye out. It's broken, that one. It doesn't have a gun. That's why he's the boss. A soldier so brave, he doesn't need a gun. He can keep the whole world safe. What should we call him? Dan. Sorry? Dan the soldier man. That's what I call him. Good. Good name. I don't know. I think it's such a cool idea. It is. That's also kind of scary that you can do one little thing yeah. or like one moment, one night, and like it's changed his career. Exactly. <laughs> you know? And his outlook on the world. Yeah, because she's like a soldier so brave he doesn't need a gun. And I was like, I wonder if that's kind of inspired by the Doctor who yeah. kind of is that. Yeah, no, you're right. And I think as we get further into this episode and we break down the end particularly, the fact that the Doctor is influencing Danny, but Clara's influencing the Doctor and it's all yeah. linked and it's all this mythology of it all. Is Oh, it's so clever. But It really is. <laughs> yeah, but you're right. In a way, Danny and the Doctor are kind of similar. Yeah. Perhaps. Like, they both want to oh. be good people and save people. Yeah, but the Doctor's very kind of anti-soldiers. He is. Danny's very stressed about being, like, misinterpreted as a soldier. Yeah, <laughs> I loved his, like, <laughs> fixation on the wells. A dung. It's 23 wells. I'm sorry? 23 wells, when I was a soldier. 23! Okay, good, good wells. Yeah, they were good, actually. I'm not doubting the quality of your wells. Whole villages saved, actual towns full of people. People I didn't shoot, people I kept safe. Okay, point taken, seriously. Oh, so why doesn't that ever get mentioned? I'm sorry, I didn't mention your 23 wells. Yeah, and he's like, <laughs> all these wells. And they're like, hey, yeah. good for you. But yeah, so I really like that stuff. Yeah, it is really cool. Um, and then I suppose after we have that scene in the past, we end up, well, we go back to the restaurant and then into the future where we meet Orson Pink. <laughs> yeah. Who is basically uh, identical to Danny Pink, except with a beard. Yeah. Very cool. I saw that he has the same spacesuit as the ones from The Impossible Planet in the Satan Pit. Really? The same oh, logo. I love that. So they That's must so be kind cool. of linked in, like, are they part of the same mission at, like, kind of yeah. similar time? It's really cool. Because it's literally identical, like the exact same logo on the suit. I didn't know that. I love this show and that episode even more now. That's so yeah. cool. It's very cool, isn't it? I think I think these scenes in the future at the end of the universe are genuinely terrifying. Like mm. the position that Orson finds himself in. Oh, like the first space mission, like going to next week. And then it's like the end of the universe. Like know, that is the no stuff of nightmares all yeah. alone stranded at the end of the universe 
Oh, it makes me... I don't know. Yeah. And it's all creaking and making noises. <laughs> Very yeah. scary. But, yeah, it's interesting to see, like, when the Doctor notices, like, the door's locked. And why would the door be locked if there's no one there? Yeah. It was the first thing I noticed when I stepped in here. You must have seen it too, Clara. You've got eyes out to here. Seen what? The universe is dead. Everything that ever was is dead and gone. There's nothing beyond this door but nothingness forever. So why is it locked? Please, don't make me spend another night here. And I feel like this is kind of the peak of the Doctor's, like, craziness, where he's like, I need to know. That's you turning, right? No. Get in the TARDIS. Why? TARDIS, now. Okay, okay, somebody is out there. Now we know we can leave. Doctor! Yeah, no, the Doctor's kind of getting more mad with it all. And I feel like the creature, even if we don't, I mean, we still don't really know much about it, but the creature is getting more menacing and more scary as well. But still they're saying plausible explanations for yeah. what it could be. Like, like, oh, the whole cooling and the door unlocking is like the oxygen outside, whatever, and it's yeah. all... It all has got these justifiable explanations. What's that? Potentially the hull cooling. Potentially? Believably. Someone knocking. Yes. It's done in a very cool way. It leaves it very ambiguous. Yeah, it's so good. It's all these questions that it raises yeah. are just great and... I don't know. And oh, what about Awesome Pink? Who is he? Like, yeah, I had a discussion question for you because he says my great grandparents time travel in the family, but obviously yeah. we know Danny Pink dies at the end of the series. So I know what happened there. Is it just when Danny Pink died? Was that basically rewriting time? Ah, oh, I hadn't thought so. Of this that. wouldn't have happened. Or, because I did look it up, people have various theories. Someone was like, maybe Clara went and told Danny's, like, relatives about his stories and they kind of pass that on and then it's still in the family, the stories of time travel and stuff. But not directly Danny Pink's descendants, I suppose. Or even someone said maybe clara traveling off with me at the end of her story comes back i thought that yeah (laughs) because i kind of thought i feel like my journey with this aspect of the plot was when i first watched it the first time i'd seen it i think i was like oh maybe clara and danny have a baby yeah, that's naturally what you think. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that wasn't an original thought. Revolutionary idea. But then obviously he dies and you're kind of like, oh. And I kind of was like, was this just a plot hole? Like, did they not plan for this? But I feel like that can't be true. Like, Moffat's yeah. brain. He's a very smart man. He wouldn't have written this episode without knowing that he was going to kill off Danny at the end of this mm. series, you know? Yeah, exactly. So, I don't know. It, it just feeds into the mystery of the story, really, doesn't it? Mm, it does. And another thing I love that relates to Awesome Pink and his connection is this, I love the motif or the through line of this soldier figurine. Yeah. It's so Obviously, it's passed good. From through and eventually even passed at the end. 
on the doctor. Well, yeah. It's been throughout thousands of years, this figurine. Well, yeah, and the fact that it's the doctors at one point, perhaps Orson Pink is is a descendant or connection to the doctor. Like, wow. it doesn't have to I be mean, Clara. I mean, he definitely is identical to Danny Pink, though, so it would be slightly strange. <laughs> yeah, but we don't know anything. Like, the doctor... True, and we don't know who the doctor's going to regenerate into. The doctor might regenerate into Danny Pink. <laughs> yeah, we know... He might use his face eventually. We don't know. Honestly, I feel like nothing is impossible because the doctor can change into anybody and also, like... The time travel thing. When people die, you can still go back and like meet them. So, oh, yeah, I don't know. It's just so clever. Very cool. I, I love it. And then I feel like oh, this episode just builds and builds and builds in the best mm. way, and it gets more and more complex. Yeah, you never really know where it's going, do you? You don't. It's so meandering, but like in mm. the best way. Ah, oh, I don't know. And then, yeah. of course. We're building, we're building, and we're building. And we're adding these layers of present, past, future. And then we go to Gallifrey, to the barn, Mm. where Day of the Doctor was, obviously. Yeah. What do you think about this part of the story? I love this part. I think it's so, so cool. I think it's so cool how it all comes together when Clara obviously gets under the bed and instinctively grabs the ankle. And you realise that's basically well one interpretation is that sparked off this the doctor's whole kind of crazy theory was from clara yeah and when you see the doctor so scared and afraid and alone you can kind of see why you know he's so scared and so obsessed with finding something to be scared of in the dark because he doesn't want to admit he's just scared of the dark and i think that's so so cool and yeah what do you think i mean I agree with everything you said. I think everything comes full circle and weaves together. There's so many little threads that I hadn't realised because I'd kind of forgotten the details of the episode. But like you said, Clara grabbing the Doctor's ankle and the fact that she gives this scared as a superpower speech, which we've already seen and loved the Doctor doing. So she's kind of got the speech from him. Exactly. But then he's heard the speech as a child. So he's kind of doing the speech from her. I know you're afraid. Being afraid is all right. Because didn't anybody ever tell you? Fear is a superpower. Fear can make you faster and cleverer and stronger. And one day, you're going to come back to this barn and on that day, you're going to be very afraid indeed. But that's okay. Because if you're very wise, I'm very strong. Fear doesn't have to make you cruel or cowardly. Fear can make you kind. Yeah, so So they're both feeding into each other and the fact that we've got this reference to never cruel or cowardly, it's like, did Clara come up with that? Is Clara behind, you know... The fear doesn't have to make you motto. Cool cowardly. Fear can make you kind. Exactly. And the callback, obviously, to Day of the Doctor. And the fact that, yeah. again, like I just mentioned, we have the, the soldier figurine again. And I feel like it's like everything comes together. But at the same time, so many unanswered questions. Yeah. But even, Molly, if you think about it, like the impossible girl is Clara, again, being scattered throughout the Doctor's timeline. Yeah. I hadn't and... made the link with this episode yeah. and the impossible girl until just watching it now 
So it makes perfect sense for her. It does. Yeah. And I even saw someone say, like, perhaps the reason why the Doctor's so convinced he's never alone is because Clara's dotted throughout his entire timeline. Oh, I like that. Saving him. It's true. Kind of cool. That's true. And I kind of wanted to ask you and talk a bit about this. Um, I guess it fits in well here. I love Clara's role in this episode, especially this mm-hmm. part at the end. And I just wondered what you thought, because I think lots of people are critical of Clara or the aspect of Clara's character, which is the fact that she kind of has so much power in that she's the impossible girl. And obviously this kind of thread that we see building of her sort of becoming the doctor and people think it's all a bit too much, but I love it. I love her being so important. I think, I don't know. What do you think? No, I love Clara. I think, I think it's so cool to just see her basically learning from the doctor and throughout this series and the next series, she's just really like, becoming him (laughs) like and I suppose that's kind of why she eventually dies is because she just becomes too much like the doctor Um, yeah but I think I love her speech like that's such a doctor speech isn't it it is to little doctor like I mean maybe that's why it's such a doctor speech is because the doctor (laughs) learns it from Clara but it's such a powerful speech I'm just thinking now like you've just sparked a memory yeah so Clara giving the speech to the young doctor is kind of really similar to the doctor giving that speech to young Amy in the, yeah. is it the Big Bang? Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Oh. Yeah, yeah, that she is. Like at the bed, telling her this story. Oh, yeah. So clever. Oh my God. Yeah. Because, oh my God. Because that's also <laughs> like in the dream. Because, you know, she's like really clever. People can hear their dreams. I know he's actually awake, but she's convincing him he's in a dream. <gasps> And little yeah, Amy is asleep oh and she he's kind of talking, seep, seeping into her dreams as she's asleep, you know? That's cool. Oh, that's so clever. <laughs> I'm honestly so happy right now. I uh, <laughs> Doing this podcast and realising all these extra things is so fun. <laughs> it just makes Doctor Who even better than it already is. Oh, oh my I gosh. What a, what a joy. So, so cool. But just my last point on that speech and Clara in this role. I mean, I love the role reversal yeah. of her telling the doctor, do as you're told. Where are we? Have we moved? Where have we landed? Don't look where we are. Take off and promise me you will never look where we've been. Why? Just take off. Don't ask questions. I don't take orders, Clara. Do as you're told. I know, the throwback to the line just from like the previous scene where yeah. he's telling her to do as you're told. Is there even an atmosphere out there? There's an air shell around the ship. Why are you still here? Because I am not going to leave you in danger. Then you will never travel with me again because that is the deal. TARDIS, now do as you are told. And I don't know what you think about this, but I think part of the reason why I love Clara having such an important role in this episode is kind of because I love the fact that companions can be so powerful and can be so important. And as they say, fear makes companions of us all, she says. Yeah, she does. And it makes you think of all the companions that we've had and how they're so... Like the Doctor we often think of as, oh, he's the best, he's a hero, she's a hero, role model, but like the companions can be too. And also I feel like... I mean, so often the companions are the ones that saving the Doctor and telling the Doctor the right thing to do. Clara does kind of sort it out at the end of the episode and explain to him why he's been theorising this the whole time. She just kind of is like, 
Yeah. Maybe you're just scared of the dark. I mean, it's such a simple... Big bad time lord. Exactly. It's just so good. And also, I don't know, the last thing I will say on this before we can move on. Mm -hmm. I don't know if I love all this so much and I love Clara so much as a character is partly due to like the power that it gives to the females in Doctor Who. And it's sort of like the feminism of it all and sort of fate paving the way for the 13th Doctor. And I don't know, I feel like the older I've got and this rewatch of Doctor Who, I feel like I appreciate so much more the moments of women doing such important things and the, yeah. I don't know. Yeah. I've just been thinking no, about it more than I have in the past. Yeah, it's true. There's so many strong women in Doctor Who. Women really do take control most of the time. Yeah. It's very cool. Love that. So we had some other questions that we wanted to discuss which sort of relate to the episode as a whole, although we've probably touched on some already. So I guess the Mm -hmm. big one, is the monster real? What do you think? I don't think so. No? I don't think it is. I think it's Clara grabbing his ankle sparked this thought in him that he's carried with him through life and he's constantly has this fear and now he's... I just think it's all kind of the doctor's imagination he's becoming fixated on it because he's scared of it um but i don't i don't think it's real what do you think i feel torn and actually i don't have an answer yeah i'm just convinced by the ambiguity of it all like i completely agree with you i think it is so much in his head and i love that i love that as a premise and i love that as a monster and it's a monster that it's a monster that we all face in some capacity. Maybe we're not scared of the dark, but we all have like these things that we fixate on that we worry about that aren't real. Yeah. Um, and we make problems out of things. So I think And in a way, making so... it real makes you feel less stupid about being scared yeah. of it. So he's like, oh, well, if it's an actual monster, then it's a reason yeah. to be scared. But at the same time, how do you explain particularly the part in the in the future with awesome pink like how do you explain he still has explanations i know he does everything that happens he's still like could be this could not be but i know know, but why is orson so terrified of it all yeah but why is he so desperate being alone in this base for six months he's bound to go a bit stir crazy with it all yeah but if it was real what do you think the like, do you think it's just a peaceful creature? Just Well, that's, yeah, that was another thing I was going to ask you. What does it want? I don't know. Yeah, because the thing is, it's never caused any problems throughout. Maybe it is just a, all that we know it does is grab an ankle, but Clara grabs the ankle. We don't yeah. know. That's that's not necessarily an evil thing. And also, I wonder whether maybe it's it's so good at hiding. It only seems to show itself maybe when it's being looked for. Because what's mm. interesting is that it's supposed to be like perfectly evolved to be able to hide so then why is it just sitting under a blanket on the bed in Rupert's room that's not perfect hiding is it no it's not I don't know you know it's interesting is it just is it because the doctor's there looking for it yeah does it only show itself when like you say when it's talked about when it's thought about yeah or is it or I mean I feel like you're probably right I feel like it's it probably is all just an overblown train of thought <laughs> that the yeah. doctors had but also i saw some people saying they thought it could link to like the silence oh yeah because they're perfectly evolved to hiding and also did you know listen is an anagram of silent 
what oh my gosh (laughs) (laughs) i don't think that means anything (laughs) but um i guess that's a creature that is so perfectly evolved to hide that people you're right see it and it's not there but it's kind of constantly could be in the room and you i don't think it is that but that's a theory that's clever and that actually brings me on to another question yeah as you've drawn that nice parallel with the silence is this episode similar to any other episodes and before you tell me your thoughts i was just gonna say that the silence obviously you've just blown my mind with this connection with the monster but i feel (laughs) like i also was completely uh, transported back to day of the moon when they were in the orphanage obviously there's that yeah. orphanage there and that's true it's such a creepy tension filled mysterious with the guy that's like sort of the caretaker dude yeah or whatever. that's true so that's one parallel that i saw do you have any other parallels i thought another parallel was midnight yeah I so thought it's another midnight. episode where the where you never see the monster it's kind of a psychological fear and it, it's kind of similar in that it's it's knocking on the door and it's um I also thought when you look out at the, um, when you looked out off Orson's ship, I was like, that looks, yeah. you could so imagine seeing the little figure yeah. that they reference, like moving towards it or whatever. Um, it reminds me of it. It is similar. A very It's kind of- very similar. It's a similar bottle episode that was designed to save money, but sometimes yeah. I always think that, I don't know about you, this is a bit of a tangent about TV in general. Yeah. And across genres like I always think of this with friends like the episodes yeah. that are designed to be the cheap ones with no guest stars no budget no sets are like so often my favorites because it's all yeah. about the characters and it's so driven by like dialogue yeah. and just like clever writing it forces the writers to get clever yeah just with what they can do with their characters well that's what Stephen Moffat was saying wasn't yeah. it with his kind of vision for this episode is he is that he wanted to show that he could do it and it was just purely yeah. I mean there's more I guess focus scrutiny on the writing when there's yeah. less else going on um yeah. but yeah about midnight do you have a favorite I know you love midnight would you say one was better or hmm. they're quite different in some I don't know it's hard to pick because Midnight is kind of, I always think of it as a play. <laughs> like, it's just yeah. in one location. It's entirely dialogue. It's kind of different to this, which is darting across times. And hmm. I, I really love both episodes. I'm not sure. I think, I don't know. I think Midnight is scarier. Yeah. Because I think it's really, it shows how scary humans can be. Exactly. In that type of situation. <laughs> I think also one reason that I'm realizing as we're discussing this that I really love this one. I love Midnight and I've always kind of classed it as one of my favorites. But Mm. something I love about Listen, which is just the kind of thing that I like from TV and from books and the stories I consume in general, is I very much like hopeful stories. And I feel Mm. like Midnight is very dark. It's such a terrible side of humanity. Midnight feels like a Black Mirror episode or something where you end up being like, oh humans are bad whereas listen at its core it's about being brave and you know being kind and how yeah like being scared can make you kind exactly and that links me on to another episode that i thought um this focus on 
being kind made me think of the speech that Amy gives in The Beast Below about the Doctor being very old and very kind. A very similar quote when she's like, all that pain and loneliness and it just made him kind. All that pain and misery and loneliness and it just made him kind. And that's so similar to the one that's like, because if you're very wise, I'm very strong. Fear doesn't have to make you cruel or cowardly. Fear can make you kind. It's the same kind of sentiment, you're right. And I think because it comes from a companion kind of giving advice to the doctor and being the wise one, that's why I made the link. I know. I really love... That's just the theme that's always in this show. It's just about like valuing kindness over everything else. Yeah, turning everything you do into a kindness. What a nice thought! <laughs> like it's yeah. just really nice to carry with you. It is. That's why I love Doctor Who <laughs> because <laughs> at its heart, it's hopeful and it wants to just spread this message of be kind, be nice to people, be yeah, optimistic, be joyful, see the best, yeah, and give people the benefit of the doubt, give them the chance. I don't know. Oh, what a what a show! It's I'm true. going off. What a show! On one. Um, any other episodes that you have made links to? Not especially. I think no. Like something like Heaven Sent. Yeah. Just reminds me in certain ways, but I'm not even really sure why. Maybe just because it's the Doctor monologuing about things. And... I thought that too. Yeah. Yeah. Again, it's like a low-budget episode where you do see a monster in the episode, but that's not really the the monster behind it is it in that episode no but i don't know kind of reminds me of blink i also thought blink as well (laughs) i don't know again i'm not really sure yeah (laughs) it's one where i can't really point to similarities apart from the fact that it's a very simple concept and i mean it's like what you said i don't even know which episode we were talking about this in but taking the every i think it was about the autons in the first episode that we recorded taking the everyday and making it terrifying yeah and in a way weeping angels are sort of opposite of this like weeping angels you have to look at it yeah in order for it to not get you in this one they're like don't look at it don't look at it you're right don't observe it let it go kind of yeah opposite of each other and to a lesser extent blink has that kind of well i mean it's the origin of the timey wimey phrase so it's it's kind of got this linking of the past and the present and everything so I don't know. And I mean, all those episodes that we've mentioned are great episodes, so... Yeah, some of the best. (laughs) Yeah. And a lot of Moffat episodes in there, too. Yeah. I think almost entirely Moffat episodes we just mentioned. (laughs) Actually, Midnight is Russell Not Midnight, yeah. But all the others. Yeah. And I guess the last kind of question I had for us on this episode is how... I mean... We maybe don't need to delve into too much because I feel like we've covered it a lot as we went throughout, but how this episode relates to Clara's and the Doctor's characters and who they are and the arcs that they have. Um, And that related question to that, which I thought of when I read an article about this episode, somebody that was writing about this episode was making the kind of statement that this could only be a 12th Doctor story and I think given that quote that we had from Peter at the start where he was saying that this episode really sums up 
the 12th Doctor. What do you think about that? Yeah, I can't, I'm trying to think if any other Doctor would kind of be that kind of stubborn that they're just going to... I don't think they would. I don't think they would either. I think... Not in the same way, not in such an intense way. Yeah, he's a very intense man, is the 12th Doctor, and he kind of latches onto things. And I don't know, I can't imagine any of the others really doing that. I think the others would kind of, the companions would be like, what are you doing? And yeah. Like, yeah, you're right. <laughs> like, Exactly. I don't know. It just doesn't, I'm trying to picture all of them doing it and I just so can't. Um, but then I think, oh, the 12th Doctor, it kind of, I've never made this connection until right now, but I feel like it leads perfectly into his stubbornness in Heaven Sent. And the fact yeah. that he doesn't let that go for billions of years. I know. Like just trying to solve this problem instead of you know confessing in that episode yeah it's taken the long way around exactly and obviously it's not the same but i feel like it's very much him it is very much him this is so early into his run but he's very kind of stubborn and he's not really necessarily learned to like listen to his companions yet or like ironically as the episode is called listen listen but he by the end he does that's a bit of a turning point yeah because he obviously as we mentioned before he's tells clara do as you're told and then later on she says the same thing to him and he he does and he listens and he flies away without asking any questions yeah i think that does show a bit of development from him there he's like letting it go yeah because it would be such a big thing for him to do he's latched onto it for this whole episode and then he finally is like okay it's interesting Yeah, I feel like the more I think about this episode, I feel like it's so intrinsic to both Clara and the Doctor, and it's just making me realise how much I love them as a pairing. I think they might be my favourite Doctor companion pairing. I love them too. I love how much he insults her. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, oh, yeah. So many of, um, I guess, have you finished with your discussion questions? Yeah, I think so. Okay, because so many of the quotes that I just wrote down as like one-off stray observations were like insults that he throws at her i don't know yeah (laughs) do you have any that you really liked from this one yeah i I mean we love the why do you have three mirrors why can't you just turn your head and then later on in the episode he's like she did all those things because her face is so white she needs three mirrors doctor yeah (laughs) so funny oh it's so good and also he's like why are you all eyes what's going on with your face it's all eyes why are you all eyes Get them under control. It's uh, so funny. It and is. also when they arrive in Gloucester and she's like, I've never lived in a children's home. And he's like, probably <laughs> just forgot. I've never been to Gloucester in my life and I've never lived in a children's home. You've probably just forgotten. Have you seen the size of human brains? They're hilarious. Little you must be in here somewhere with your little brain. I know. I love it. And he delivers these lines. These lines like that that are so... I don't know, it just takes such a talent to do them in that way that just makes them so funny. And, oh, I love um, the Where's Wally bit as well. Where is he? Doctor? I can't find him. Can you find him? Find who? Wally. Wally? He's no way in this book. It's not a Where's Wally one. Well, how would you know? Maybe you just haven't found him yet. He's not in every book. Really? Well, that's a few years of my life I've been eating back. Oh, that's so funny. I also was trying to find the, like, deep meaning behind that, because I was like, oh, it's about, like, hiding. 
Yeah. I was like, I wonder, because the whole episode is about this creature that's hiding. And I was like, is it? And he was like, Wally's not in every book. And I was like, do we know Wally's not in every, every oh, book? Oh, Jack. He might just be hiding. That's <laughs> Extremely <so smart>. well. <laughs> that's very clever. I hadn't I don't thought think of it that. Really is very well, clever, I feel like knowing <laughs> Stephen Moffat, he probably chose that for a reason. He probably did. To be but fair. I, I just love that he is like the kids. Like he's not in every book, and he's like, really? Well, that's a few years of my life I'll be needing back. <laughs> I know. It's like, how long is the Doctor being <laughs> reading books trying to find Wally? <laughs> exactly. Oh, it's that is so funny. Good. Yeah. Any other quotes from that episode that you like? Um, one that I really liked, which I think is so good is Clara insulting the doctor. People don't need to be lied to. People don't need to be scared by a big grey-haired stick insect, but here you are. Stay still. Shut up. Yeah. <laughs> and it's like, yes, Clara, you get your own back. Yeah, because he's <laughs> constantly insulting her and she just kind of takes it. She's like, oh. Yeah. It's good to her to fight back a bit. It's good. <laughs> it is funny, though. I love their banter. Like, they just laugh and it's just such a great time between them. Yeah, <laughs> it, is so it is so good. And I mean, obviously, her speech. And I mean, his speech earlier on. Both Rupert. speeches are great. And Murray Gold's score is oh. wonderful, as always. Every episode, it's like <laughs> Murray Gold. <laughs> I have nothing to say apart from Murray Gold. What a legend. Like, oh, we just say that all the time. We do. Yeah. <laughs> what a legend. I also really like another quote. I really enjoy mm-hmm. when he's doing that little rhyme. Perhaps they're all just waiting. Perhaps when we're all dead, out they'll come a slithering from underneath the bed. Yes. And then Clara's like, did we come to the end of the world just for a nursery rhyme? Yeah. But also, thank you for bringing that up because... That rhyme is the basis for a poem that Stephen Moffat wrote last year called Listen, inspired by the episode. And it's in the anthology that I have, which I have on my shelf right here. Hang on. That's so cool. But um, yeah, this Stephen Moffat has this poem called Listen in the Adventures in Lockdown book. And it's the same one because it starts... Well, it says, what's that in the mirror and the corner of my eye? What's that footstep following and never passing by? At night I hear such breathing, the dark is never still, the shadows all are seething, the air is damp and chill. And it goes on and on and on. Oh, hang on, just have to say this. So the next verse, I won't read the whole thing, but it says, even as I write this, the shadows all has moved. How do I learn to fight this, this enemy unproved? Which makes me think of another fantastic episode. The Vashtanarada. Of course, yeah. The Vashtanarada could always be there. Shadows under the bed. Yeah. Not every shadow, but any shadow. Any shadow. Maybe. <laughs> exactly. And this poem is really good. I really like it. Um, And it ends with... So I think this creature... Yeah, so... The doctor's doing this musing and then this creature appears and he says, this poem that you're writing, you now must throw away. The shadows that you're fighting, I fight them every day. And then at the end he says, hang on, no. (laughs) This figure appears and then the doctor says to him, these seeds you must not sow them, please cast them on the rocks. I'm the reader of this poem. I'm a madman with a box. I don't really know what it means. I've just given it to you without the whole, you should read it, it's good. That's interesting. I'm now that just made me think about like a metaphorical like he said like these I fight them every day and it's like maybe it's like 
depression. <laughs> you know yeah. what I mean? It's like this kind of figure that's always there for these people, and it's just it's like this constant figure that's in the darkness. You know? Yeah, you're right. If you read the rest of this, it all makes sense as well. And it's Ooh. wait, hang on. Have I just read this wrong? Hang on. Wait a second. What? I think, actually, I think in my haste of reading you bits of the poem, I think it might actually be that the doctor is the figure that appears. So I think the doctor there, the first part of the poem, he's being like, what's that in the corner of my eye? What's that in the shadows? And then there's a knock on the door and there's a figure standing there, a man I'd never seen, but maybe it's just a different version of the doctor. And he says to him, this poem that you're writing, you now must throw away, blah, 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 blah. And then he stood there in the silence. He did not turn to go. His eyes were full of violence, but his voice was soft and low. And then he's the one that says, these seeds, you must not sow them. Please cast them on the rocks. I'm the reader of this poem. I'm a madman with a box. So the doc, oh, hang on. Maybe it's this whole thing (laughs) is the doctor. I mean, we've kind of talked about this already, but maybe it's the doctor, like, creating this problem makes it a real monster for him the fact that he's dwelling on it and the the figure that appears which is the monster is telling him stop because if you are thinking this way that's the reality i don't know i don't know if i'm making any sense i don't think these thoughts are fully formed (laughs) they sound cool (laughs) i like it Mm. yeah that's cool but also it said like violence in his eyes i'm like is it like a war doctor oh jazz is that like a decision yeah because if you think about it it's like the when he's the war doctor and you need to take that fear and use it to be kind as he does like that's from Uh, from this fear he's taking it from it and turning it into that it's so good wow 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 (laughs) Anyway, maybe we should stop before we go too far down a hole. I feel Um, like we could just keep going down this hole. I don't know. Um, Yeah, I guess. Okay, last thing I'll ask you before Mm. we go, unless you have any more stray thoughts to say. No. No. Okay. Last question then. Do you have an overall rating for this episode? If you had to rate it out of 10, what would you give it? It's a really, really good episode. I'd give it a uh, out of ten. What would I give it? Maybe a nine point some a nine point five out of ten. That's exactly what I wrote down. Uh, <laughs> nine point five. It's really great. It's so good. I think it's the best episode in series eight. Mm-hmm. I haven't actually. Let me just pull up series eight. The other highlights of series eight for me, I I really enjoy Flatline. Yeah. Um, I I like Time Like these are all the director guys. Hang on. What else have we got? Uh, yeah, I think that's probably is my favourite. Yeah. I like Dark Water, Death in Heaven. I So do I, I really like that too. But I, I love that episode. It would be up there as, as some of Peter Capaldi's best. Yeah. Not quite Heaven agree. Sent though. Not quite. Heaven Sent. Does Heaven Sent get a 10? I think Heaven Sent gets a 10. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> <laughs> we should um try and see if we can figure out our actual 10 out of 10 episodes. Yeah, and we should. Maybe do an episode on that. Yeah. Fab. Well, should we move on to our fun part of the show? Yeah, so now we thought for the end of the episode we'd do a trivia quiz. 
What's it called, Molly? So this is a BuzzFeed quiz that's called Only a Doctor Who Genius Can Score More Than 12 in This Trivia Quiz. And it's adapted from when Doctor Who was a specialist subject on Mastermind. And these are the questions that were asked. And the the contestant got them all right. So we can give it a go. So, and you can play along at home. You can. Okay, so I think there's 12 questions. Cool, let's go then. So, the first question. Doctor Who reappeared on BBC television in 2005 after a gap of nearly 19 years. Who played the Doctor in the first new series? Easy peasy. That is Christopher Eccleston. That's right, we know that. Yeah, okay. So, question two. What two-word phrase occurs repeatedly throughout the episodes of series one and is the title of the penultimate episode? Bad wolf. Bad wolf indeed. Well done. Two for two. Okay. Question three. Who played the Doctor's companion Amy Pond when Matt Smith became the 11th Doctor? Another easy peasy. Yeah, we're so good at these. This is, of course, (laughs) Karen Gillan. Yeah. To be fair, I feel like our dad could even answer these. I don't think they're too hard. No, well, I think they get harder, don't they? Yeah, I'm sure they will. That's the goal. So... Okay, question four. Who plays the waitress, Astrid Peth, who worked with the Doctor to help prevent the interstellar liner Titanic from crashing into the Earth in the Christmas special, Voyage of the Damned? Kylie Minogue. Kylie Minogue. Good job. Next question. In the episode, Daleks of Manhattan, the TARDIS lands next to a New York landmark in November 1930. Which landmark is it? This is not the Empire State Building. It's the Statue of Liberty. Yeah. It's getting a bit trickier. It's a trick question. Okay, question six. Under what ancient monument did the Doctor and Amy Pond discover the Pandorica, a prison that featured the most feared thing in all the universe? Stonehenge. Yeah, Stonehenge. And under this question, it says, yes, this quiz is going to get harder. Good. (laughs) We'll see. Question seven. With what weapon does the Doctor fight Robin Hood on a narrow bridge across a stream in the episode Robot of Sherwood? Now this is a wooden spoon. Or is it just a spoon? I think it's a metal spoon. It's a spoon. (laughs) We know this. Okay. Okay, question eight. The Doctor and his companions wake up from amnesia into various reality television and game shows. In which game show does Rose appear, where those eliminated are disintegrated by the android? The Weakest Link. Yes, The Weakest Link. Oh, the person that wrote this quiz is a fan of this one. They say, in my honest opinion, the greatest episode that has ever existed. Oh, wow. Well, it is a great episode, I would agree, but not the greatest episode that's ever existed. No. Which character welcomes the newly dead to the Promised Land throughout Series 8? She is later revealed to be the female incarnation of the Doctor's old adversary, the Master. This is Missy, played by Michelle Gomez. Now we're already on 9 out of 9, and we apparently have to be a Doctor Who genius to get 12 in this quiz. So. I know, well, we're nearly there. <laughs> Let's see, um, question 10. Oh, it's already getting a bit harder. Yeah, okay. In human nature, the Doctor takes on the persona of John Smith, a teacher at a boys' school in 1913. He gives the boys a lesson at the start of the episode. Which battle was it about? Do you know? I don't know this one. Trafalgar? 
Yeah, the Battle of Trafalgar. I feel slightly stressed. The Battle of Trafalgar? I don't know for sure, but I feel like I can picture him saying that. No! The Battle of Waterloo! Yes. Do we get that or not? I don't think we got that. We we wouldn't have got it if we were on Mastermind, so I don't think we did. Oh, sad, sad. Okay. What is the title of the Series 4 episode in which the Doctor and his companion Donna find themselves at a dinner party where one of the guests is Agatha Christie? That's easy again. That's the unicorn and the wasp. Easy. Question 12. What is the name of the creature who searches the universe for the Doctor on behalf of Davros, the creator of the Daleks who is dying? I don't know. We just called him Creepy Snake Face Man. (laughs) I know. I don't know his name. I reckon he's called like Skull or like. I think he's got Blue. two names, like something something, like Avkolos, but it's not like the Battle of Rascal <laughs> Avkolos. Um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. That's disappointing. Colony Sarf. Oh my god! Didn't I say like Skull? Yeah, and I said Colos. <laughs> I'm so I feel like we were close enough. There. Yeah. <laughs> but not close enough to get the point, but no. close enough that we're not too embarrassed by it. Yeah. Okay. In a series seven episode, what is the name of the town in the American West where the TARDIS accidentally lands in the nineteenth century? This is Mercy. A town called yes. Mercy. Very good. Cool. Okay. Question 14. Which diamond plays a crucial part in the series two episode Tooth and Claw? I don't know this one. The. I can kind of think about it. I'm trying to picture who would say it. Would Victoria get it out and be like, something diamond? I think it's that other guy. Like Robert. Oh, that guy. And the doctor says it too in like a dramatic way. Oh, I can't remember. I don't know. Should we give up? Kohinoor. Kohinoor? Oh, <laughs> it doesn't ring a bell. <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't ring a bell. I might be saying it very wrong. <laughs> okay, well, I remember it's a real thing. Like, it actually exists in the world, I think. That's cool. I might also be making that up. Okay. And finally... What is the name of the paradox that the Doctor explains to the audience by referring to the question of Beethoven's existence in the Series 9 episode before the Flood? I know this because it came up today when I was googling something else. It's the bootstrap something. The bootstrap, bootstrap. paradox or the bootstrap conundrum or the it's bootstrap because I remember thinking Yeah, huh? that does ring a bell. But I don't know if we have to get it exactly. No, we got it. It's a bootstrap paradox. Yeah, I don't can't remember what that is. <laughs> he like rambles on about Beethoven's. Um, it's quite cool. It's like a paradox about like. It's cool. <laughs> okay, I'll take your word for it. Well, how did we do then, Jazz? We got twelve. We got twelve out of fifteen, and that's what we needed to be called the Doctor Who genius. Ah, oh, I feel like it's meant to be. <laughs> <laughs> Alright, so I think that just about brings us to the end of this episode. It's been a whole lot of fun discussing this one with you, Jazz. I think we should definitely do some more episode discussions in the future. Yeah. Um, so, yes. Tune in next time for another fun Doctor Who discussion. Thank you for taking the time to listen to listen. <laughs> <laughs>